Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of the Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. And be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of 1 Peter by looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep and have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers might not be hindered. As we read through this section of Scripture, our first impression may be, these are some tough teachings. Now, some of us may not even know whether or not we fully agree with what Peter is saying here, but it may be helpful for us to remember the context in which he's writing. 
Remember that Peter is writing to give hope to a group of people who are being persecuted and have been scattered from their homelands. He tells them that they have a living hope, and embracing this hope will produce in them a clear thinking, give them a sober mind. He goes on to tell them that this clear thinking will produce obedient action. When you're thinking about things the way God does, you will act in godly ways. That action then produces purity. As you do the things God wants, you are purified from the uncleanness in your life. This creates a holiness, a being set apart for God's purposes. After God cleans us up, he can use us for his intended purposes. And as Peter calls his readers to be holy because God is holy, he reminds them that even though God is using them in the world, the world is not their home. It's not their final destination. They are aliens and strangers, or in our vernacular, immigrants and refugees. We just are not home yet. And because we are immigrants and refugees in in a land that's not ours, as we head home, there are certain ways that we should behave among the worldly nations so that we don't cause problems and we don't end up stifling our own freedom. So Peter takes the time to explain to his readers what holiness will look like in different situations in the first century world that he was writing. And if you notice, there's a recurring theme here. Over and over again, Peter mentions the word submitting or being in subjection to. That recurring theme comes over and over again. That's a word that we don't often care much for. We don't like people telling us what to do, and we certainly don't like giving in to someone if we think they're wrong or unfair. But this is exactly what Peter says is a holy behavior. And so he takes different circumstances that were around in the first century and tells Christians how they should act in those situations. As we bring those forward, there are certainly lessons there for us. It is important to note that the societal situations that Peter is addressing have changed a little over 2,000 years, but the principles that he puts in place are still applicable today. It may look a little different in different situations. We may have the right to expect a little better from those who are in authority, but the theme of submission continues to this day. It may help us to even understand that word submission a little better. Very often it's used in a way that's intended to convey strict obedience. If you submit to someone, you obey everything they tell you to do. The word here that gets translated to submit is one that means to yield, right? And think about when we drive in traffic and we come to certain places where one stream of traffic meets another and one is told to yield to the other. Let the other guy go first. Let them have their way, and then you go on about your way. It's not necessarily a thing of who's the boss. It is who gets to go first and do it the way they want to. While that may delay me getting to my destination by a few seconds, it doesn't change uh, the path that I'm on, and it doesn't keep me from getting to my destination. I don't have to make the other car pull off of the road to get to where I'm going. This seems to be 
the idea that's intended when Peter writes about this and even when Paul uses similar language in other places in the New Testament. And there are things going on in the world by people who have not decided to live by the same standard I have. They don't accept Christ as king. They don't believe that the Bible is in any way authoritative in coming up with a way to live. And Peter says, when you meet those people, yield to them. Let them go first. Let them do their thing so that it doesn't hinder your freedom to do what God wants you to do, to stay on the path that he has placed you on. If their path crosses yours, allow them to go ahead of you, yield to the oncoming traffic, and then live the free life that you have in Christ. Let's see how this works, according to Peter. First, he mentions citizens and the government. He says it's very important for the Lord's sake for you to submit to human institutions. Why? Because they have the power they have through the authority of God, and they're intended to keep some kind of order. Are they perfect? No. Sometimes they're even corrupt. Sometimes they're even overbearing. We get frustrated in the United States sometimes because we think our government overreaches. But remember, Peter's writing at the time when there was an evil dictator in charge who did not like Christians as a group and actively sought to persecute them. And Peter says, when your paths cross, submit. Now, he never says, go along with everything the government says. If the government had directly commanded them to do something that was outside of God's will, they definitely would take a stand. They did. It was part of the reasons that they were persecuted. But when the government was doing things that you didn't like, you wish they wouldn't do, you just didn't pick those fights with the government. You submitted to them. You were a good citizen of the nation you were visiting and living out the freedom you have in Christ in preparation for being home for eternity with God. Peter says, it's the Lord's will that we do this way. Why does God want us to give in to evil man-made governments? Why does he want us to yield the right of way to them? Why does he want us to let them go ahead and do their thing? Peter says, it's because when we live righteous lives, when we do all the things that God wants us to do, If that government ever tries to impose its will on Christians, they'll look foolish. It's interesting in our time, there are a lot of people who are concerned about whether or not the government is going to eliminate Christianity. There's absolutely no evidence that that's true because of what Scripture says. Scripture says the gates of hell can never prevail against the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will never be wiped out. Those who wish to promote the kingdom then should not be fighting the government. They should be in lockstep with the things that God says. You don't pick a fight with the government to preserve Christianity. You let the government do the things they're doing, and you just be decent people who are kind and loving and caring and helpful. It's kind of hard to bring accusation against those people and and tell them that they need to stop. If you look at the accusations that our secular society often brings against Christians, it's those people who are playing Christian or pretending to be Christian who are actually acting very differently than Jesus. 
those are the people they want to stop. So as Christians, we need to not be like those people, but be the holy people that Peter describes in his letter. When we are that kind of people, it silences the ignorance of foolish people. They, they quit complaining about Christians when they see that all we are is helpful. Peter says, this is the best way for you to get to live out your freedom in Christ. And don't use your pursuit of freedom as an excuse for bad behavior to cause problems with the secular governments. You can live out your freedom in Christ and not pick a fight with the government. You don't have to. The early Christians didn't do it, and they turned the world upside down. The, the Roman government was converted to Christianity in the 4th century under Constantine. We need to understand that God's way is the best way to do things. Do we trust him enough to do that, or do we continue to fight Satan on Satan's terms? Peter also mentions servants submitting to masters, and he says, Servants, it's important that you not only submit to good masters who are gentle with you, but also when they're unjust, when they're unfair, maybe even when they're violent. He mentions specifically being beaten for no good reason. And Peter says it's important to go ahead and yield to those people. Let them do whatever it is they feel like they need to do, and then go on about living your life in a righteous way. Well, immediately we think that's not fair. That shouldn't happen. And you're right. It shouldn't. And in a perfect world, those people are held into account and are punished. But Peter says, we don't always live in a perfect world. And sometimes unjust people take advantage of just people. And he says it's important for us, if we're going to suffer in this world, suffer for doing good. And if we suffer for doing good, it's a gracious thing. What does he mean? We are doing those folks a favor when we don't seek revenge on them, but we handle our circumstances the way Jesus did. Jesus suffered for us. There are going to be circumstances where we're called to suffer without reviling or seeking revenge. And when we do it, we're extending the same grace that Jesus did to us. That doesn't mean that you can never fight for justice. It doesn't mean that you can't advocate for the right thing. But we should be doing that on the behalf of others and not necessarily just always looking out for ourselves. Peter mentions wives and husbands, and it tells them to submit. He's talking specifically to women who have husbands who aren't believers. If I yield the right of way, to a husband who's an unbeliever, I may open a door of opportunity where that husband comes to faith himself and then is more compassionate and understanding and helpful because he's come to Christ. This is not about a, a hierarchy where man's in charge and women are subservient. This is about a Christian being in a circumstance where someone's determined to get their way and a Christian says, okay. You do whatever you need to do, I'm going to live for Christ. It's not trying to force someone to do it your way. It's acknowledging that they have the right to do it their way. We continue to live for Christ. 
Peter mentions that we're capable of winning others with respectful and pure conduct. And yes, he is talking to women specifically here who are married to unbelieving spouses, but certainly this principle is at play all through Scripture. The way we win over converts is not by... uh, bashing them over the head with scripture, but it's by living a life of respectful and pure conduct. And then he mentions how a woman should adorn herself, and much is made of this from time to time. But I think Peter says, what's getting you noticed? Uh, Why do people notice you? Is it because of the way you look? And is that all there is to it? Is it something superficial? Or is there something within you that gets you noticed? Do people notice that you're a good person, that you have a good heart, that you're kind and pleasant, or do they only notice how you look? Peter tells women in this section that it is very important for them to have the strength of character that wins people over. But he's not describing anything that doesn't apply to any other Christian. I think it's very important in this section, as well as the ones we've already mentioned, to note that Peter is not giving one group permission to be oppressive to another group. He's telling multiple groups of people that if you find yourself in an oppressive situation, there's a Christian way to handle it. And again, that doesn't mean, especially in our society, that we can't pursue legal remedies for those things. But remember, in the first century, those legal remedies weren't always available. That's why Peter says to husbands, make sure that you deal with your wives in an understanding way and that you look out for her as a weaker vessel. Why was she weaker? Because she didn't have the same strength of character, because she wasn't as smart, because she wasn't physically as strong. I don't think that's what Peter's getting at here. If you think about the context of what's being written here, as Peter is taking kind of household rules from the day and helping Christians understand what graciousness and holiness looks like within those constructs, he reminds Christian husbands that the women in their lives don't always have legal recourse. They don't always have the same rights as men. And so it's up to husbands and fathers to look out for the needs of the women. The government's not going to do that. Society's not going to do that. It's up to Christians to look out for those people who are weaker because of a lack of rights, those people who have been marginalized by society. And certainly, as he deals with these household rules, we see it uh, applying to the way a husband treats his wife. But Christians in general should be applying this principle to every walk of life. I don't have to get my way or force people to be like me. I need to be looking out for the people who don't have as much access and people who don't have as strong a voice and people who need help and and be understanding with them, develop compassion with them and look out for them. And that may mean I give up some of my rights to help them. I may yield to them even though society says they're weaker, but that's a gracious thing to do as well. And Peter explains to husbands, if they can't figure that out, if they can't live that out, it will actually be an impediment to their prayer life. They will have difficulty praying to God and being effective with those prayers if they're not looking out for those who are, in a sense, weaker. So what Peter is getting at in all of this discussion is that all of us should surrender 
to Jesus as king. We yield ourselves to Jesus. Jesus has said, these are the best ways to live in a foreign land as you prepare to go home for eternity with God. Our question is, do we trust him enough to put it into practice? Do we have to get our way? Do we have to avenge wrong that is done to us? Or can we be gentle and peaceable? If Jesus is our king, if he is dictating how we should live, we need to learn the art of submission. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. 